Yes, uh, last week we spent a good amount of time looking at Paul. Um, we looked at the first two words of Romans, which was Paul, you know, as bond servant. And so we asked the question: What was what, what was Paul? Who was Paul? And, and where was he from? What was he like? Um, and all that good stuff. So we took a long look at Paul last week. Um, remember looking back um, at him that he was born. Um, in a Roman province with a Roman citizen family. So he was born into his citizenship, uh, but he was also a Jew um, who then became um, theologically uh, trained by the rabbinic tradition um, and then moved back home and to Tarsus where he was from. And he kind of watched the Jesus movement from afar until, um, until post-execution uh, of Jesus And he then joined the fight of the Pharisees, comes back to Jerusalem and starts persecuting uh, the Jewish uh, Christians in Rome. I mean, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem, trying to eradicate them off the face of the earth. He's on his way to Damascus to have this um, uh, almost this witch hunt going up to drag Jewish Christians that have fled Jerusalem back to Jerusalem so they could be tried and either imprisoned or killed. And that was where the risen Savior met Paul on the road and said, hey, Paul, I'm, I am who I said I was. Stop persecuting my people. And I have a plan for you. Plan to not only save you from your sin, but also to use you as a massive instrument in my kingdom work here in the early church. And so Paul is struck blind. He goes home. Uh, he then leaves, and we know that he has this supernatural uh, theological training um, and away for a couple of years. He comes back in the scene, and he is just as passionate as he was against the Christians for Christ, enough to where he has to move around because he's so dramatic as he teaches. Um, and then we know that uh, at, uh, towards the end of his ministry, he does these massive um, missions around through to the Gentiles and he kind of becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles. So that we kind of stopped there at the end with Paul last week and now we're going to finish the who, where, and why because there's another piece to the who that we have to focus on if we're going to gain the context of, uh, of where we are. So the second part of the who is the Roman church. Remember, we've got to ask ourselves who's writing this and who are they writing it to? And so the second part of the who is the recipients of Romans, which is the Roman Christian church. Um, There is uh, most likely this group of Jewish Christians that are in Rome uh, from Judea that start the church uh, in Rome. Okay, so here is where we first see the Roman church spoken about in Scripture. And this is Acts 2, 1 through 12 which starts with um, which starts with Pentecost. So we're experiencing Pentecost here for the first time. It says, it goes like this. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in each in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Meds and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Byron, I tried that one, I filled it again, and this one, P-A-M-P-H-Y-L-I-A, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene, here we go, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed. So, we know here, this is the first time that we get to see the Roman church in Scripture. And here they are at uh, Pentecost. So, uh, just so you know, pro- a proselyte is a person who has converted from one opinion, religion, or party to another. And since Paul here has delineated not only Romans, not only Jew, Jewish Romans, but also proselytes, it means most likely that church was made up of not only Jews that were either like Paul, a Jewish person living in Rome, also maybe even Jewish people that have fled Jerusalem through persecution and up into Rome into this church. But these people were most likely Roman citizens that believed in other things. Either they worshipped Greek gods or all the other different um, religions at the time, or maybe even just... um, uh, enlightened people. Remember, this is the a, a lot of these people that were were into this higher learning and higher enlightenment. It could have even been Romans that didn't believe in anything, and the news of the gospel hit their ears and they believed. So that's who. That was not a people group. It's just a person who has converted from one opinion or religion or party to the other. So um, here, let's take a look at both of these: these Jewish Romans and proselytes. So we know they were at Pentecost. We know that they witnessed the descent of the Holy Spirit, right? They got a chance to witness what Jesus promised the the disciples that was coming. Remember, he says, you want me to go away. I know it's really hard for you to understand right now, but you want me to go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Because if I don't send the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to hear my voice when I'm not standing there. You're not going to be able to hear God's word interpreted in your mind in a way that you can't even possibly understand right now. So remember, Jesus says, you want me to send the Holy Spirit. And here it is. The fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about is here. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So the Holy Spirit comes in and, um, and the Roman church gets to witness this huge part of history, um, which is uh, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit. The next thing is, is then they got to hear the disciples speak in their own native tongue. So they got to witness this miracle. Not only are they, they feeling the Holy Spirit rush into the room like a wind, but now they're seeing, they're seeing the Holy Spirit's presence and that people are saying 
out loud a word and people in the room are hearing it in multiple different languages. It's not like they're standing up there and they'll say it in Greek and they said it in Aramaic and they said it in Latin. They didn't do that. He spoke one time and everybody understood it in their own tongue. And so these Jewish Romans and the proselytes that are of that church are sitting there going and witnessing all of this that's happening. So that's who they got to see that and be in the room. We also know that if you keep reading in Acts, they got to listen to Peter's powerful message. So remember, one of the greatest messages apart from uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount uh, was, G- was Peter's powerful message. And it was really him um, solidifying what Jesus was calling him to do when he was still on earth. So these people got to hear uh, Peter's massive message uh, to the new church in Acts 2.14. And then, uh, if you notice, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but we're getting really close to Acts 2, uh, 41, 42, and how the church functions. So they may have even been uh, right before Acts 2, 42, where it says that those 3, 000, that there were 3,000 people that came to faith in Christ and then asked to be baptized. And so some of this uh, uh, Roman church possibly even got baptized uh, there in Acts 2, 41, and then maybe even hung around to experience some of Acts 2.42. We don't know really um, what, the, uh, what, their, what their time frame was of how, long, of how long they stayed in Jerusalem before they go back to Rome. But they were here for pretty close to it, so may, maybe they even got to experience some of what's been such a, a big part of Timberwolves' um, vision for community and, and ministry and all that stuff. So where was the church? So we moved, there was who, now we're moving to where? And uh, the hit, he, he was writing to this church that was hidden somewhere in the center of Rome. This was a really fun, uh, um, I, got, I got to roll down a bunch of different really old rabbit trails and studying what history said about the church in Rome. Because obviously you know eventually uh, the Catholic church will begin in Rome and there's so much um, history around the Christian church in Rome, and it was, uh, there's not a whole lot written um, in, in pre-papacy. It's really a, an interesting rabbit hole to fall down under, but most people just said that they believed that the Christian church in Rome uh, had some kind of a meeting space that was secret. Uh, just because they were in this hotbed of, you pretty much give your allegiance to Rome or uh, or bad stuff happens to you. So we know that the church uh, was hidden somewhere in Rome. And um, there's even, uh, so this is really interesting that I got to study that said that there's some really early church tradition that Peter was actually the founder of this church. And that I, I don't know from my studies that I can get behind this. I don't think Peter, because if we, we actually know when this book was written, and it was in the incredible hotbed of the new church in Jerusalem that Peter was in charge of. And so I I really can't find any uh, biblical or, uh, or, or extra biblical proof that Peter actually was in Rome starting this church. Um, There's, there's, there is um, usually this is based around the tradition that Peter was the first Pope in Rome, the first leader of the Roman church. And there's all kind of speculation based around whether or not Peter ended up in Rome and was killed alongside Paul, which they both, we, we know that they both will, 
will um, be martyred for the faith. But there's a lot of tradition based around whether or not Peter, uh, Peter actually comes to actually lead the church in Rome. Or if the Roman church knew that because Peter was the cornerstone of, uh, or the leadership of the, the Jewish church in Jerusalem, that would, that was why they named them Peter his, the first leader of the church in Rome. So anyways, it's a really fun study to get to knock around here. But, um, but yeah, we, there's just no biblical or even extra biblical proof that Peter was in fact in Rome uh, at the starting of this church. Um, uh, let's see, this is based on no biblical proof of the pressure that Peter's Jerusalem church was experiencing. Um, here we go. Yeah, even if Peter was involved in the first church, the founders were at Pentecost and Peter traveled to Rome later um, is a possibility. Um, so speaking of Peter, so this is um, the, the fact that Peter was the, the, the placed in a position of high importance in the Roman church, in the early church, um, is really based upon what Jesus said over Peter. Remember, this is Matthew 16, this, uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 19 said, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Now, this is midstream, mid-ministry in, in Jesus' three years, and they're uh, traveling together, and he's talking to his disciples. So this is not to the big crowds. This is only to his people. And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus, uh, Simon Peter absolutely looks at Jesus' face and goes, you are 100% the Messiah. You are him, the Son of the living God. Not only, so, so this is really an interesting thing for Peter to say in that, one, not only is he claiming that he's the Messiah, but he goes to the next step that says, Son of the living God. Remit, what's really interesting about this piece is that remember, most Jewish people were waiting on the Messiah to be a political ruler. This person that was going to come in and flip the script and put the Jewish person and the Jewish nation on top of the world. They were right. That is eventually going to happen where Jesus sets up his kingdom over everything. But that wasn't his plan as we know. We know he was going to come and, and save us first from our sins. And the big piece of what Peter recognized and what Peter was one of the first to recognize is that not only are you the Messiah, but you are God. And that was a, not a common belief in Jewish culture and custom, uh, even in radical tradition, tradition, was that they, were, they did not believe. They believed the Messiah was going to come and set him on top. But they did not believe that the Messiah was actually going to be God. So Peter here gives us that... Um, not only are you the Messiah, but you are also God. And then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on heaven shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So when, when Peter was here, and because of Peter's awareness of who Jesus actually was, 
Jesus gives Peter the keys. What is it? The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Like he set them. I'm going to build my church upon you. He set Peter apart for that. From that. So because of this importance, eventually Peter will lead not only the church in Jerusalem, but out towards Rome and other places. So Peter has a great importance in the church in Rome, whether it be super earlier or, or later on. So we know through lots of most places, you know, as we've studied together, I've told you, oh, we're pretty sure it was written here. And like if you think about when we study John, I go, you, the, the book of John is speculated from being written from like 60 all the way to close to like in the late 90s. And we can speculate when it is, but we actually have biblical, uh, extra biblical proof of where Paul was when he was writing this and really close to the year. Um, so the, if you see here, it says Paul's writing this from the church in Corinth and most likely around 57. So we also know that it is pre-fall of the temple. It's pre-fall of Jerusalem, so, which was around 70. So we know that this, this is being written before the fall, before Rome takes over. Okay, so the why. Um, we're, so we've, we've got our who's, we've got our, our, our where's. Now we're going we're gonna to think, look at why's. And there th- I believe there are three main reasons of why Paul was writing to the Romans. And a couple of them are just bold-faced stated, like by, by, by Paul. So here it said, I wrote number one, it says to preach teach, and encourage the Romans. So um, if you look at verse 12, verse 12 says, uh, in, this is Romans, Romans 12, 112. It says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And then later in 15, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So we know, we know here that one of the main reasons stated by Paul of writing this was to preach, teach, and encourage. And this bullet point down here is mine that I wrote. I think Paul knew that the church was getting very... Uh, uh, Apostolic, apostolic training. I think that he knew that um, that there was no uh, leader in that church that had spent any significant time um, with Jesus um, that were that was there leading that church. Where a lot of the other churches had Paul and other people rolling through those churches, but Rome was just so far from Jerusalem that I think that he just knew ah these these this church in Rome is going to be so pivotal. And we need to get them some good, uh, some good instruction and some good teaching. And I would love to do. And he's telling them, "I see that. I want to come and teach you, but I also want to come and be with you and to encourage you." Um, the second reason why I think Paul uh, was writing this book is to also to set up a command center for a Spain mission. And this is actually stated by Paul in fifteen, all the way back to fifteen, chapter fifteen. Verse 23 and 24. And Paul writes this. He writes, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, this parenthesis is not scripture. That is my footnote. It is where he is is around Corinth and, uh, and, and some of those churches that are around in that region. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, 
I hope to see you, here we go, in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he basically tells them, hey, I want to come to you. I want to teach you. I want to preach. I want to encourage you. And I want you to encourage me. I've so wanted to come spend time with you. And so now I have a plan to do that. Here, later in the book, um, uh, later in the letter, letter, he actually also writes them as saying, hey, my hope is to take the message of Jesus past Rome, all the way up into Spain. I want to go, he calls it in a, in a few different places, he calls it far west, which was further into Spain. So he's saying, I want to go and take the message of Jesus into Spain, and I need you to help me do it. I need a, a, a basically a, 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 either a command center or some kind of a, a, a friendly place to stop before I go into complete uncharted territory. So he tells us that here in the why. Um, we obviously know that his plans here were foiled because he was arrested in Jerusalem um, and uh, he um, was not going to be able to freely come to Rome, set up this command center, and head to Spain. You know, the Lord sometimes um, gives us a desire to take his word in places but, but swerves on us. And this is what the Lord swerved on Paul, what he thought was he was going to expect because he gets, finally gets arrested and he does go to Rome, but he does not go to Rome on his dime. He goes to Rome on Rome's dime. Remember, um, Paul was a Roman citizen, and the Jewish um, people wanted to try Rome. Rome uh, Paul says, oh, no, no, way, uh, forget it. I'm a Roman citizen. I have a right to be tried by the Roman uh, Empire. Take me to Rome. And so, therefore, they, because he was a Roman citizen, they took him towards Rome, and that's where he stayed in Rome. Now, what really gets interesting is you study extra-biblical writings about what happens is that we really don't have a whole lot of biblical record that Paul ever accomplished his Spain trip. But there is, however, some really interesting extra-biblical writing that supports that he actually makes it to Spain. Um, It's kind of fuzzy where in the timeline that is from the time he gets tried in Rome and placed on house arrest to the time that he goes to Spain, because the extra biblical writing says that he moves far west and comes back to Rome, and that's where we know that he's martyred in Rome. Um, and then my third reason of why I think he's writing in this, and this is kind of, I want, to, I want to be really clear, this is kind of my feel as I've read this book, as I've thought about why, the whys he's doing this, and some of the things he's written in some other places, and some of the things we know about Paul is I think the, one of the main reasons of why he's writing this book is to get his complete gospel written down. If you look at Romans more than anything else that Paul wrote, and remember, Paul wrote almost the, like far, far, far more than any other writer in the New Testament. Paul is writing this complete... Romans is basically his complete gospel as he knew it. And so I think that one of the reasons why he was writing this is to get his complete exhaustive, exhaustive gospel written. Um, by this point, I, and the reason why I think this is because it was pretty dangerous to be a Christ follower. By, by, the, by in the 50s, like, it, it, was at, it was at an all-time high of awareness and anger towards the Jewish Christian in this uh, part of the world. And um, we know that in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says, for they say, this is somebody writing about Paul. He, Paul's writing about what people have said about him. And he writes, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak 
and his speech is of no account. Remember, Paul has been run through a meat grinder. Like, Paul has been beaten, flawed, like just terrible treatment of Paul to the point to where here it says that his body was just, he was shuffling under the weight of the physical abuse that Paul experienced um, through oppression. And Galatians 4.14 says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me to receive me as an angel of God. Uh, oh, I didn't take that while. As Jesus, as Christ Jesus. So it was so, Paul's appearance was so bad with scars and, and all of the things that had happened to Paul that he said that the people... Just by looking at me was a hard, you had a hard time by looking at me and, and what my condition was. So I think by this point, Paul, uh, Paul had knew that, that, that he could die at any point um, in this. His body, wrote, yeah, here his, his body was pretty scarred and broken by the unbelieving world. Uh, he could see the chance that he could be killed uh, at any time. And so that's one of the reasons he's writing for this. Um, and then Paul himself writes to the church. Um, in Philippians, uh, he wrote one twenty. He said, "But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to got to die is gain." So Paul understood the ticking clock on his life, and uh, you can tell in, in in Romans that that this was him trying to get what his complete gospel was. But he wrote right here, he said, yeah, but the worst happens, it's gain. Um, yeah, I think more than uh, we could know, he knew his time was short. So um, here, I got some lessons here, some, not only some whys of why I think he wrote it, but I think there are three main lessons in Romans. And if you've read uh, Constable in this, Constable gives us at the end of his um, intro into Romans, he gives us three main lessons that Romans is going to teach us um, in, this, in this section. And the first one is uh, that we are to measure ourselves by divine standards. Romans is packed full of talking people into that their way isn't God's way. That, 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 we, that there is this internal and worldly external measuring system of what's good and right and we judge ourselves before Christ in that way. And the, the society that we live in judges us in what it thinks is the right way and is truth. And, and Romans here says, and is exhaustive in it, is saying, you've got it wrong. The world has had it wrong. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel since the beginning has had it wrong. And that you're trying to figure out, and even if you go back into, into the garden of Adam, and, of Adam and Eve, of people trying to determine what is good and right in their own eyes and wanting to choose that over what God's way is, over what God's good and right is. And so here Constable says, all through Romans, Paul is going to be telling us, choose divine standards over your standards. And they will very rarely line up with your feelings. Here's what God's way is. And here's what God's done to free you from them. But as a follower of Jesus, you can't go back to your way and calling your way good and evil. 
So the first lesson uh, that Dr. Constable tells us to look at is that we need to measure ourselves by divine standards and not our own. Um, the second lesson of this um, was that he calls us, that Paul is calling us to live by faith, not by sight. Believe in the things that God's done for you. Believe the things that Jesus did on the cross for you that you didn't get to see, Church of Rome. Believe in the things that you didn't get to see, Timberwolf Lake. Believe in the things that you didn't get to see. That's how we're supposed to live, not in the things that we see. Navigate God's truth through the, through the Holy Scripture and then respond to those things. Respond to the Holy Spirit as He draws you into a deeper walk with the Lord and adopt those divine standards and a, and a love for Scripture and that's what we are going to. That's what the, what Jesus is calling us to is to live by faith, uh, and to not and not by sight. And then lastly, uh, that that we need to devote our lives to God. That um, that because Jesus, especially this book that's written mostly to the Gentiles, because God of the universe who has who called Israel to Himself and set them over everyone else, that, that, that there's a way to be inherited into God's people. That every nation, tongue, and tribe would come to him. And he has said, not only did I come for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And so if that's true and we were inherited just by our belief in what Jesus did on the cross, to call us to live by faith and not by sight, because we believe in who Jesus said that he is and what happened, and we're believing the things that we're reading in Scripture by faith, that our only response the, the, the believer's only response to that information is that, that God died on a cross so that you could live in a right relationship with God. Your only, your only response should be to devote yourself to God. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You were now bought with a price and you now belong to God and should de- wholly devote yourselves to the Lord and what He's asking you to do and how He's asking you to live. So I think that as we look at these three things, moving into the actual study of the text will help us think through what it is that Paul's trying to drive at to get us to learn. And that is the end of the who, where, and the why. Um, And then next week we're going to get into the first part of the text. Um, Pray with me and then we'll get on about our day. Lord, uh, studying your word and about your word is um, one of the greatest things you've ever given me. Like, I, I can't begin to tell you how thankful that I am for me and for my friends that you've, as, after adopting us into the inheritance of the kingdom of God, that you've given us a zeal for your word and a, and a, and a desire to want to know every single thing I can about you. And so, Lord, thank you that um, you've given us the scripture to to study, to know what you'd have for my life, to know what you'd have for our life and our ministry here in Romans. Um, Lord, I want to take a second to thank you for Paul. Like, as I study Paul, um, I'm so encouraged by what his demeanor and posture was towards you. In the first verse, he is going to speak with power and authority because he has inherited sonship from you. But then towards others, he, he, he portrays this 
gentle um, humbleness is at the same time. And it's just been such an encouragement to us for thousands of years. So, um, Lord, thank you for um, not letting Paul just continue to wreak havoc on your kingdom, to revealing yourself to Paul in a way that, uh, that dramatically changed his life and that in turn has dramatically changed our life. Lord, as we navigate this book, um, give us some focus, give us some drive. Um, Lord, don't let us get complacent as a team in this in that we just show up on Thursday mornings and somebody walks us through a little bit of Romans. Give us a little bit of some drive and some desire and some devotion to wanting to know your scripture. Give us the, the forethought from the Holy Spirit as we go about our week to go, Lord, I'm going to I want to do a little bit of reading before our, before our next meeting. So we so desperately want to measure ourselves um, with your standards and not our own. Lord, we want to live this week by faith and not sight. Faith in that what you told us in your word is all true. And then also, Lord, we want to devote ourselves to you. We th- we're so thankful for being called into your into your family and having the ability to accept Christ and what he did. Lord, your plan from the beginning was perfect and we're thankful that you've invited us into that. Lord, be with us as we uh, go about our week and um, help remind us that what we're doing with our hands is an outpouring of what, what's going on in our heart with you. Um, help us be kind to one another. Help us empathize with one another. Help us care about what the other is going through and We love you, we love you. Amen.